All right. Well, um, let's get into the Word. We're going to be in 1 Peter. Uh, it's been a while since we've been in it, and uh, Pastor Mark did a great job. My absence going through Jude, so blessed by that. Uh, but we're going to resume 1 Peter. Pass out, fellas. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, these fine men will get you a Bible. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and we sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. So let's stand. First Peter chapter 1. I know we've covered a few of these verses. Uh, don't worry, it's going to pick up speed, but I, I got to get reacquainted, and all of us do. And so we're going to do verses 1 through 5 this morning. The passage reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, that's a good passage. Father, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Just so rich, just those few verses. Lord, minister to every heart. I'm, I'm reflecting on when this was written, and the conditions in which Peter wrote them. And Lord, he's writing to a church that is under persecution. The, the boot of Rome is on the neck of every believer. And Lord, I, I think about the folks in the room right now assembled. There's folks going through trials that they, they just feel like all the oxygen in the room has been sucked out. And Lord, today is for them. I pray you'd minister to them and strengthen them in their faith. And they would not waver, but they would see these things and they would be empowered to serve you in a way that they've never done before. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing. Holy Spirit, minister now. We'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Uh, I was gone for a week in Uganda. It was a wonderful trip. Then two weeks we were in um, Israel. A lovely trip to Israel. Uh, I think we traveled with about close to 50 people. Uh, Ten of them were from our fellowship. Uh, the other folks were from around the country. It was an eclectic group of people. We had Christians. We had politicians. Notice how I separated the two? I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no offense, Peter. You're both. Um, and how you do that, it's miraculous. But anyways, let's get back to where I was. Uh, so we had Christians, politicians, Christian politicians. We had uh, atheists. We had agnostics. We had folks that were what I considered heretical in, in their beliefs. Uh, we had other folks, that they, they called themselves Assemblies of Yahweh, which is uh, they're, they're, they don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, I mean, we had a, an eclectic group. That's the best way I can describe it, eclectic group. I remember I was a teaching pastor at the science. We got to the, uh, we had some atheists, we had some agnostics. But I remember getting to the site of the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, and uh, speaking, and just looking at a group of folks I didn't know, I knew some of them, the folks from our church, and warm and comforting to see their faces. But a lot of them I didn't know. I didn't know if, if it was sticking with any of them. Some of them were just looking right through me. Some had that look like, you know. <laughs> I got through that. 
And, thank you. All right. And so, so they, just, they just didn't look like anything was clicking. And, uh, and then every night you come back and you, you just feel this condemnation. You're not making any inroads. Nobody's listening. You're wasting your time. And, nobody, you know, and, and it was awful. And then, then we did the baptism. Folks were coming forward for baptism. I didn't know their stories, but they're crying. They're weeping. You're dipping them. They're coming up. I'm telling them, you know, when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit drove them into the wilderness for 40 days of hell. Uh, are you ready for that? <laughs> you know, and down they'd go and bring them up. They're like, let's do this. And, I, I, and it started, I was just moved. And by the end of the trip, their hearts were knitted. We were just close as could be. People were sharing how their lives had been blessed. We were invited to come and visit their homes and travel and do neat things and just deeply blessed and, and watching. And some of the things that touched me, some of the things that touched me deeply uh, was connecting with Peter's life because I knew that we'd be coming back to the study of 1 Peter. And Peter's one of my favorite New Testament characters. Favorite Old Testament is David by far and away. Favorite New Testament character by far and away, Peter. I relate it to both of them because both of them, in my estimation, were guys that learned by failure. Um, you know, we think of great David, you know, that guy choked left and right. He just blew it. Peter, same thing. Just, you know, some theologians describe him as walking with Jesus around the shores of Galilee, and there's the footprints of Jesus, and where Peter's footprints are, there's only one footprint because the other foot's firmly planted in his mouth. He's just a, a doofus, just... And he would always ask the questions that everyone was thinking but was afraid to ask. And then he'd say stuff that just made him look like an idiot. And, he'd just, and then he'd say stuff that was so profound, people would be like, whoa, where'd that come from? I don't know. I just said it. It just came to me. It just came to me. And um, he was a fisherman and, and uh, big brawny guys, theologians believe, uh, historians believe. And, and here we were, one of my favorite spots, um, uh, Caesarea Philippi. It's up in the north, up at the base of Mount Hermon. Actually, they'd be up on the Mount of Transfiguration, which I believe is Mount Hermon. And, and uh, Peter was up there as well. And, and that's where God, you know, he, they, they saw Moses and Elijah, and then they saw uh, Jesus and Transfiguration. And, and, and Peter's like, whoa, let's, let's build a house for each of them. We could build a booth for you and one for you. And then all of a sudden you hear the father goes, shut up. <laughs> this is my son. Hear ye him. Peter, you just stop it. You're talking. And when you talk, it's irritating. And that was Peter. But then there'd be other times like Caesarea Philippi where there's just chaos going on everywhere. And every culture in the world is worshiping their separate gods. You've got the god of Bacchus who's alcohol. And you've got all these people in drunken revelry. And you've got Aphrodite over here and people running around buck naked. And you've got the gates of hell, Hades, and they're throwing cut up cow or, you know, goats in there. And, and people are cutting themselves. And everything is just chaos. It's a place where every culture worshiped. You had the Greeks and the Romans. And it's just awful. And, and Jesus is up there with his disciples, and it's a beautiful place. And they're, they're just, they're, all the disciples are probably just looking around going, this is crazy, watching people run around naked and other people drunk and, and sacrifices, and they're just taking it all in. And, and just, just like being on a tour with a bunch of people, they do the same thing. Look over here, everybody, look here. It's like when somebody gets up and walks out, you all go, yes. And you can, imagine, you can imagine Jesus going, fellas, hey, 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 hey. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Uh, you. Uh, well, I don't know. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some, 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 some say you're Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Others say just a prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? Oh, it's a tough question right there. I'm, wasn't really, I'm kind of checking out some of the scenery. I wasn't really thinking that way. That's deep. Who are you? And Peter goes, oh, 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 you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And like, whoa, Peter, I know, I, I came up with that. I did, I did. And they, they go, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, and upon this rock I'll build my kingdom. And they're like, whoa. And Peter's like, yeah, that's right. Shortly thereafter, he just chokes again, and Jesus calls him Satan. So, so Peter just, he just struggles. He just struggles. And, and, and now we, we come to this epistle that he writes, and it's a precious, pre- he uses that word precious quite often in his writings. We're going to see it. But, but look at what he does here. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And, and that word, the pilgrims of the dispersion, it's diaspora. They, all, all, all of you Christians, all you Jews that have come to Christ, you Messianic Jews, the, the boot of Rome is on your neck and you have been cast out. And the, the Jews don't want anything to do with you. The Romans don't want anything to do with you. You are a penny looking for change and you're in every nook and cranny of the Roman Empire and you're being hunted like animals and I'm writing to you. You're everywhere. You're in Cappadocia. You're in Asia. You're in Bithynia. You're in Pontus. You're in Galatia. You're everywhere. But I want you to know something. God elected you by foreknowledge. You're like, whoa. Did, did Peter read Calvin also? That's a joke. Somebody going, yes, I probably did. He wasn't alive then, okay? Peter didn't read Calvin or the Institutes of Religion. To him, it wasn't this theological ascent where he could walk around going, yes, I'll tell you, we we have the absolute sovereignty of God, and uh, so man has, and no friends, it's the absolute, and the pictures that prior, and I, I don't want to hear you. You're boring. You, You annoy me. I just want you to know that. See, Peter was different. He, he got elect. He got foreknowledge. And for him, it wasn't some theological discourse and this attainment of some intellectual ascent where he could write volumes so that people would read them. No. He goes, ah, elect, foreknowledge. It, it, it's, why wouldn't I write that? I mean, Andrew told me that there's this guy, and when I came, he knew me. And while he was talking to me, Philip came up, and he knew him. And he said, there's no guile in him, and he knew him. And they, he knew me, and he knew him. And then, and then when we were at the table, he said to me at the table that somebody's going to betray him. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to betray you. I'll go to prison. I'll even die for you. And he said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he knew that because I did. I did. I don't know how he knew it. He did. And I'm just telling you, he told me that after I blew it, that I would be strengthened and that I was called to go and strengthen you. So with that understanding that God who began a good work, faithful to complete it, I want to write to you right now. This is, this is A.D. 64. It's July 19th, 64 A.D. And Nero is lining the streets of Rome with Christians dipped in oil and lighting them on fire. And I want all of you to know who have been scattered throughout the regions of the Roman Empire who are being hunted like wild animals. God elected you. He knew you'd be going through this. I, I went through it before. I, I remember. It was awful. I, I remember Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday. I remember, I remember when I was by the fire 
And, and, and I, I told everybody I didn't know Jesus. I remember this girl, 13 years old, maybe. She said, you're one of them. You're a Galilean. And I, I turned to her and I said, I swear to God, I don't know who you're talking about. And at that moment, I, I saw on the battered face of my Savior. He looked at me and our eyes locked and the rooster crowed. And by the way, when we went to Israel, we went to uh, Gaiacanto, which is the Caiaphas' house where the rooster crowed with the hole where they dropped Jesus before they went to Via Dolorosa. They beat the tar out of him. Went to the Antonio Fortress, 15 layers under the earth that they had excavated. Right there in the slab of concrete, the king's game that every Roman soldier played, every, every centurion played this game. That's, that's where they played the game. That's where they beat him. That's where they put the crown of thorns on his head. They put the robe on him and they beat him. Right there, just poured water on him. The relief came up out of the, con- out of the granite. Peter was there. Right, right there is where he saw Jesus being beaten, his eyes locked. And the rooster crowed. And he wept bitterly. He just thought, I, I don't know what you were thinking, Lord, but you obviously knew I'd pull this stunt. I'm not worthy of you. God wants nothing to do with me. And the amazing thing is women came after that resurrection Sunday. They said the tomb's empty. They ran up to me specifically and they said, God wanted you, Peter, to know that he's risen from the dead. Me? Why me? Oh no, I'm in trouble. (laughs) That's how I'd take it. What have I done now? No, no, no. He wants you to know he's alive. He said it, he did it. It's, It's all good. And, and then Peter would be out fishing. He'd travel 70 miles back down the galleys fishing. He'd see the resurrected Christ on the seashore cooking when he'd jump in the water and swim to him and, and he'd see his resurrected body. He'd watch Thomas put, put his hands in the open wounds where, where he was crucified and his feet and in his side. He'd be sitting with this resurrected body, a resurrected body that would pass through walls. Trippy. Forty days, Peter kicked it with Jesus in his resurrected state. You know that when Jesus resurrected, he never went to anyone who wasn't saved. He had nothing else to prove. He only went to believers. He just wanted them to know, I told you, and you guys trusted me. Check it out. Check it out. I can see you. I can see you. Right? I do that. I can still see you. I can still see you. See? You see how that works? <laughs> I can see you. Let's stop now. Let's move on. I can hear you. <laughs> Let's move on. And so, so Peter would say, he knew all this. He preached of the crucifixion. He preached of the resurrection. Elect in foreknowledge. I don't need to read the Institutes of Calvin to grasp this. I'm a fisherman. All I know is, he said it. I believe it. That settles it. Don't overanalyze it. And in the simplicity of that fisherman's faith, he would say, that foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit bears witness with my own that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And in obedience, he he sprinkled me with the blood of Christ and all my sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. And I've been washed as white as snow and his, his righteousness has been put on my account. Do you understand what that means? I denied him and he loves me. I blew it. And now 
He calls me to serve him. Doesn't make any sense. I'm a fisherman and I'm one of the apostles to transform the world. Not only am I a fisherman, I have made the most ridiculous mistakes anyone could ever make. I am uneducated. The scriptures declare that. Yet he's chosen me. He's elected me for knowledge. He knew I'd blow it. He knew I'd deny him. And here I am, covered in the blood of the Lamb. Do you know what that does for me? Grace and peace has been multiplied to me. If you'll grasp this, the same is true for you. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Even when I screw up, he's got me. He's got me. I'm ruined for this world. I tried to go back to fishing, but it didn't work. Now all I do is to the glory of God. And he says this in verse 3. And it, it's touching because this week I did a, a, a celebration of life, a memorial service. And even tonight when we do it for Pastor Chuck. Verse 3, look, it begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed is, is where we, we get this idea of eulogizing. Eulogizing, saying something nice about a person. Typically in a celebration of life or a memorial service or a funeral service, somebody will come up and give a eulogy. They'll give the highlights of somebody's life. Uh, they'll, they'll say wonderful things about them. For some people, that's hard to do. And I think of the story about the man who had an awful brother. He was just wicked, and the brother himself was wicked. And, and they, were just, they were hated in the community. And, and the brother died, and the other brother went to the priest and said, I want you to call my brother a saint and let everybody know he was a saint. Uh, and I'll give you $100,000. Priest needed the hundred thousand dollars and needed building repairs. He said, "Okay, you got a deal." He said, "I want you." And he's eulogizing him. He says, "He was a scoundrel. He was a thief. He was a liar. He was a despot." But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> so, I've done a couple of those where you're really struggling to, and, and it doesn't matter because the people who are present, the three people that are present in the remainder of this person's life, they they get it, and so you just their life was lived for themselves. Tragedy. But what, what Peter's saying, eulogize the Lord's name. Say something nice about the Lord's name. Because, listen, it's 64 AD, July 19th, Nero is going nuts and people are burning. And when he's writing this, the likelihood is he's in the Mamertine prison. The Mamertine prison wasn't just a prison. It was below the prison. And historians say that, that anyone who was lowered into that prison was knee-deep in human excrement. When they pulled him out to kill him, historians say that they killed his wife first before his eyes. And then he was crucified upside down. And in the midst of this, he's writing this. In the midst of that, he's writing this. And he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I just want you to know how good God is. What? He's good. God is good. It's like, it's like you're hammering. You've got the nail. And this, this is me because I, I am not a maintenance guy. I, my toolbox consists of credit cards and the yellow pages. And you take that nail and you boom. And you don't go, oh, praise God. Look at that thing swelling like that. Oh, Bless the Lord, it is throbbing and the blood is squirting out. So beautiful. 
No, that's a lie. You're like, son of a gun. Don't come near me, I'll kill you. Get away from me. (laughs) What? No, no, this is what you do. Bam. (sighs) Lord, I just want to thank you that there will be no framing in heaven. Huh? There'll be no maintenance required. No hammers. No more pain. No sorrow. That's how you eulogize the name of the Lord. You give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when he's in this Mamertine prison and, and it's awful, he's saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. Listen. He's begotten us, again, to a living hope. I'm not standing in in knee-deep in human excrement because it's thrilling. I'm not not standing here because I like it. I'm here because God has placed me here to testify that there's a living hope. Historians declare that Peter led 41 Roman guards to Christ in the Mamertine prison. Oh, and we're upset? They've, they're not going to allow a manger scene in front of the city hall? This is awful persecution. Really? That's persecution? Buckle up. You have no idea. It's going to get ugly. Real ugly. How do you get through it? Realize this. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. It was my third trip to Israel. Third trip. I went to Jerusalem. I went to the site of the Holy Sepulchre. And I went to General Gordon's supposed site that he has painstakingly come to understand through study that this is probably the site where Jesus was buried. Right? Went to both sites. This one was a little weird. It was Constantine's mother-in-law who traveled around with some advisors and she'd stop at a spot. Oh, I feel something. Yes, this is where he was buried. Build a church. Do your history. That's how that ended up being Holy Sepulchre. Weird. But I've been to this site, and I've been to this site. And guess what? Doesn't matter what site. He's not there. Not there. Not there. You find his bones, I'll quit Christianity. You won't. You can't. It's a living hope. My God is alive. I know. I talked to him this morning. You know, last night I, I called Dr. Crilly, and I hadn't talked to her in, in a day or so, and, and she's slipping quite a bit, and she was worried that I was upset with her, and and because uh, I'd been in Israel, and I wasn't able to talk to her. I was supposed to call her every night. She was a woman who was with my mom last year's of my mom's life, and she's a childless widow, and she counts on that phone call every night at 9.30. And I called her early at 8.30 because I was tired and I was jet-lagging, and she answered. She says, oh, Rob. 
She said, I was just thinking that maybe that you were upset with me. I wasn't sure. And I just finished asking the Lord to just comfort me. And the phone rang. And you usually call later, don't you, dear? I go, yeah, no, I do. She goes, the words hadn't even left my mouth when the phone rang. That's a living God. That's a living God. I think about this idea that we bless the name of the Lord in the midst of the trial. You know, eulogize. I, 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 three children were eulogizing their father. And I, I could tell I don't know the history. I never met the man. I knew the kids. I love the kids. I knew that there had been struggles. I don't know what they were. I could see that their desire was to put the best foot forward for their father. They were eulogizing him. Even, even with all the heartache and the struggle, and they never mentioned it, I could pick it up. It's just years of doing what I do. But the beauty of it is they represented him well. And in the midst of the trial, Peter's just saying, bless the Lord. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With abundant mercy, he begot you again to a living hope. You don't have to worry about this anymore. And this is Peter. Peter's like, I'm writing this, you guys. I'm knee-deep in human excrement. I'm tied to a post. My wife is being executed before my very eyes. I'm going to be crucified upside down, just like the Lord said. But I want you to know, I know what it's like to just feel like you don't want to go on anymore. And then one day you see him on the shores and you realize this is a living hope. There's a point to all this. I was talking to a brother who just lost his wife. I was just out, outside just earlier. He said, there's no way I could get through this without the Lord. That's a living hope. Oh, good luck without God. And the beauty of it is, Peter says, I saw him. He is alive. Our hope is alive. And then he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and because of that, and these are two things that we'll come to the conclusion on. He says, because of that, I have an inheritance that's incorruptible. Because of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and all of my sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for, and I've received his salvation, that he's imputed his righteousness to my account, and I have been washed as white as snow, and I'm right with the Father, I am now not just his creature, I am now his adopted child. And it's all mine. And here's the part that blows my mind. Elect and foreknowledge. This blows my mind. Look around the room. He didn't get a bargain. This looks like the bar scene out of Star Wars. Yes? Some of you are going, I don't appreciate that. I don't care. No, 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 no. He didn't get a bargain. And he knew the junk you'd be involved in right now. You know what it is. And he still chose you. He picked you out of the dung heap. And he adopted you. You're his. You know what comes with adoption? It's kind of cool. Inheritance. I'm going to go back to Dr. Crilly because this says inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and doesn't fade away. Let's say you have a rich uncle. He's got bank. And he's telling you, oh, and you're the only, tr- only one of the kids that understands me, and I'm going to bless you. And you just, and then you upset him. Yeah, all you're getting is a cuckoo clock. That's it. That's all you're going to get, a cuckoo clock. 
Dr. Crilly, sweet, sweet woman. And like I said, she's slipping, but she's sweet as can be. And she owns a house in Coronado. And she's a childless widow. And she's given it to every one of the kids in our family and every one of the people that works with her on a number of occasions. I want you to have my house. Oh, thank you, Alice. And we need to draw those papers up right away. I know, yes, we got to get on that. And I learned the first time around, what are you talking about? You want us to drop the... I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. She says, whew, whew. Well, that faded away. You mean I have it and now I don't have it? Yeah, I'm giving it to you. Oh. So I own it right now, but I'm not going to own it later. Right, because I'm going to give it to somebody else. Yes. Okay, I understand. But here, it's an incorruptible inheritance, and it's undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. Ready for this? John said, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. And I've told you this so that you may know that you may know you have eternal life. He who's been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. So you go, oh, Pastor, don't you start talking about assurance of salvation. I don't believe in that. Okay, we'll pick another church. Assurance of salvation. It's eternal life. If you can lose it, it was never eternal to begin with. It's incorruptible. You can't even screw it up. I have tried. And, and here's the beauty of it. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to be defiled no matter what I do. And this is cool. It's reserved in heaven for you and for me. Whoever reads it, you, you, me. Reserved in heaven. I like reservations. I love reservations. We saw reservations in action in Israel. You get there, there's a line, people waiting to get into this place, that location. And Avi, our tour guide, goes, oh, don't worry. I've taken care of this. We have reservations. <laughs> And right to the front of the line, just move right in. It's reserved. You get to heaven, you go, okay. Uh, MC, Rob McCoy, being the MCs, not M. Usually they put an M and a C together, the small C, big C. Uh, Is there anything listed there? He's like, well, let me just take a look here, um, um. <laughs> I'll just go. No, 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 no. You're in. You got a reservation. How did I get that? Well, <laughs> obviously it's something you've done. <laughs> it's reserved in heaven for you. How? Who are kept by the power of God. How are we kept by the power of God? Through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You're trusting Him for the ultimate, that you're going to get out of this earth alive and you're going to be able to stand before the Father and He'll say, enter into thy rest, thy good and faithful servant. You're banking on that because of faith in Christ. And He is the Word. He's the embodiment of the Word. And, and you're being, how are you being kept in that faith? By the power of God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. The Word of God is living and breathing, sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And by that Word, when you come on Sundays, you're strengthened in that faith. 
This inheritance is being kept for you, and by the power of God, you're being kept for it. He does both things. Both things. You don't believe me? Check out Genesis 15. Abraham said, God, you promised me descendants as numerous as stars in the sky. But I don't have any heirs, and I'm almost 100, and my wife's 90. There's not a gynecologist in all of Canaan who says she can have a baby. Something's got to give here. And the Lord causes a deep sleep to fall on Abraham. And while he's sleeping, Abraham's cut a covenant. He's cut animals in half, and he's allowed the blood to fall between the two parts. And God says, we're going to cut a covenant, which means I'm going to hold your hand, you're going to hold mine. We're going to walk through the the blood together. And what we're going to say is, if either of us breaks our promise, may what's happened to these animals happen to us. This is how they cut a covenant. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. you're, you're, You're signing a contract with God Almighty. God says, so you do the paperwork and I'll sign it. And so Abraham cuts the carcasses, sets them apart from each other. The blood is flowing. Have you ever seen how much blood comes out of a bull? It's everywhere. Blood's everywhere. Abraham's like, okay, I've drawn up the paperwork. Uh, I'm ready for your signature so we can agree on this together. And he's waiting to hold God's hand and walk through the carcasses together. And he's waiting and he's waiting. And then the carcasses start to attract buzzards and they're flying. And he's keeping them away. Go away. You're not allowed to eat this. I'm going to cut a covenant. God's coming because he promised me. You guys just go away. And he's exhausted in the noonday sun and it's starting to rot and smell and flies. And Abraham collapses in exhaustion, falls into a deep sleep. And while he's sleeping, God passes through the pieces. What's he saying? Abraham, I don't need you to keep my promise. I'm going to keep it in spite of you. I started this, I'll finish it. Do you believe me? Yes. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Hundreds of years before the law was ever given. You're not, listen, God didn't come to supplement you at your best. I'm a pretty good person and all I need is a little supplement, just a dietary supplement. That's all I need. Just, you know, maybe some C, maybe some B. B12, B12's good. Just to supplement me and I, you know, just, uh, just gives me some strength, some greens, some greens. Greens are good. He didn't come to supplement you at your best. He came to redeem you at your worst. In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. We didn't need to be encouraged. We needed to be saved. We, we didn't need a helping hand. We needed total salvation. We didn't need to be strengthened. We needed life itself. We were dead in our trespasses. And so God kept us by his power through faith for salvation. And it's being revealed in the last days. And I think about this Genesis 15 and this covenant that God had with Abram. He says, I'll take it from here. What does that mean? It means that God wants to save you just like he saved Peter. You got to trust him. And the trial you're going through, God wants you to eulogize him. That means to realize that you've been called to a living hope 
because of this incorruptible inheritance that nobody can take away and it's reserved in heaven for you. You can't defile it. Based on that, when you get through the misery of that thumb that is just throbbing and you're knee-deep in human excrement, you give glory to God and you lead 41 Roman soldiers to Christ in the midst of your trial because it's no longer about you. It's about the God who has redeemed you and given you that inheritance. That will change the world. That will change the world. If you get to a place where you think, you know, that's a little much, Pastor. I mean, like really, we're going to see the streets lined with Christians dipped in pitch and lit on fire. Aren't you being a bit militant? I hope I am. But if if I'm not, your relationship with that cosmic genie in the sky that you call God, if he doesn't play by your rules, do you quit? Or do you get it? Are you going to be able to be knee deep in human excrement and watch your wife kill before your eyes and still lead 41 Roman prisoners to Christ and write a letter to every Christian that's outside the boundaries of your hometown and tell them, hang in there. Guess what's waiting for you? We're sojourners and we're just passing through. Hold tough. Don't quit. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Bless his name. Praise him. Eulogize him in the trial. And God got, God's got you covered. We're living on the edge. We're living on the edge of time and eternity. I close with this last thought. The, uh, the two men were at a funeral for a very rich man. They didn't know him very well, but the whole town came out because this guy was rolling in money. And all the rumors went about what was going to happen with his money now that he was dead. And the two men were there, and they just were interested. And, and, and the one man leans over, and he goes, I mean, how rich was he? How much did he leave? The other man turns over, and he goes, he was really rich. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars rich. He goes, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, how much of it did he leave? All of it. <laughs> My son was right. Dad, what was the best part of the trip? Coming home. You see, I didn't go over to Israel with my furniture from my house or my family portraits or the fish tank or my dog or the rest of my family or my lovely queen-size bed and my comforter and lovely pillows. I didn't go over there with all that stuff. I was just passing through. I don't live over there. This is my home. In the same regard... This isn't my home either. I'm just passing through. Don't hold on too tight, folks. Eulogize him, bless him. And if you can get this right, no one and nothing will ever be able to stop you. Doesn't matter how tough it gets. 
no one will ever be able to stop us when we realize that we've been kept by God's power for this inheritance that nobody can take. It's all ours. Hang in there. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you for the power of your word that holds all things together by the word of its power. And so, Lord, today, by the word of your power, our faith has been increased as we've witnessed the life of Peter. None of these things move us, the Apostle Paul would write. None of these things move me. And if Peter can be knee-deep in human excrement and watch his wife die before his eyes and see the streets of Rome lit by Christians he loves and still lead 41 Romans to, to you, Jesus. Only a man whose eyes are on the author and finisher of his faith, only a man who loves God can do that. And so, Lord, give us a faith like that in these coming days. Protect us, Lord. I pray that you protect every one of your, your children. We've been adopted. We're no longer friends. We're children adopted into the kingdom of God to a living hope and inheritance that's incorruptible and it's reserved in heaven for us. And with that understanding, nothing and no one can stop us. Lord, let our, our hearts be steadfast on that. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name.